All right, so Matthew chapter 7, verse, uh, let's see, verse, verse 7. Matthew 7, verse 7 says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. This is a verse that is a very great promise. It's not just a genie in a bottle, rub it the right way, you get the wish you want verse. What we are being shown here, introduced to here by Jesus himself, the very Son of God, is that we can have a relationship where we have the privilege and the honor to come before him and ask and seek and knock. Imagine being a young, not even young, just a Jewish person who grew up in Jewish culture, grew up according to the Old Testament where, where you could pray, but there was scripted prayers like the Shema. There was temple worship that was very formal. And now Jesus comes and says, go to the Father. Ask, seek, knock, and you will be answered. The idea here is this is not a formula to get what you want. It's the very idea that you can come into the presence of God and ask anything. There are many politicians, theologians, what have you, who I disagree with when they tell us that inherently we are all God's children. The Bible tells us the exact opposite. That without God himself, we aren't his children, we're his enemies. But through the cross of Christ, through what Jesus has done on the cross, the shedding of his own blood, the sacrifice of his life, God himself coming down in the form of a man to die on our behalf, and then us putting our faith in him, that and that alone makes us a child of God. No matter what sermon we preach, whatever what series we're in, if you aren't a child of God, everything we're going to talk about here today or on a Wednesday night or a woman's service or whatever we do is going to be irrelevant to your life. You are literally on the outside looking in. If you are not a child of God, a person who has put their faith in Christ, then you are on the outside looking in. Forget hell. Forget condemnation. You're just outside. By choice. No one's keeping you out. No one's pushing you out. It's not some quota or something you haven't met. You have not put your faith in Christ. Do that today. T- today is the day of your salvation. Give your life to Jesus. Do it again. You did it yesterday. Do it again. I know I woke up today. It was a hard morning. I walked here to church. I was dragging my feet. I, I, I was I was consumed with this this apathy or this this tiredness, and I just thought, man, I, I just don't know how today's going to turn out, and I, you know, what am I going to do? And I just I just began to tell the Lord, I, this is what I'm feeling. And then as we were worshiping, I just thought, man, Lord, I'm going to fight this. I'm not going to let this consume me. I'm not going to let one of your children get be consumed by stuff that you're not giving. I'm going to fight. And you know these people here? I'm going to fight for them too. I'm going to pray, Lord. I'm going to seek you for us today. I want you to seek the Lord today. I want you to seek the Lord for your your neighbors today. But if you're on the outside, this is going to be really hard for you. Give your life to Jesus today that you might even have the, 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 the privilege 
to come before God. In, in the New Testament, when Jesus is, is met by children, you know, and the, and the disciples are like, no, don't let the kids come around Jesus. He's too important. He's got stuff to do. Jesus is like, no, no, let him in. Let him in. You welcome them. You know what I find out about kids? They're a great judge of character, aren't they? If, if somebody's, somebody's a jerk, they don't like them, right? Like right off the bat, I don't like them. But if they're loving and they're kind, and you might think they're a jerk, but you see kids flocking to them, you're like, wow, maybe I misjudged that person. Kids love Jesus. I just have to believe that he was, he was a type of person you wanted to be around, who was loving and was joyful and was cheerful. You know, when the kids came around, he wasn't flipping tables. He did that with the grown-ups who were in the temple prostituting the worship that was there. And so today, give your life to Jesus. Be like those kids who have that privilege to come to him and ask. And so today we're going we're gonna to look at question one of the Ask Your Pastor series. Had a lot of questions this time, great questions. Um, very few repeated questions, which means I think we're growing a little bit. We've, we've retained knowledge from the last time, and now we're growing a little bit more. Um, but I want us to understand this. It's not the church has questions, so Pastor Tony's going to answer them. We collectively are going to Jesus right now and asking for help. I, I don't – my brain's only so big. I can only hold and retain so much information, right? And a lot of it's filled with you know quotes from The Office and movies from when I was a kid and songs that I haven't heard in ages and – commercial jingles and you know all that stuff that just clogs our mind like uh, you know where's the beef and that type of stuff just stuck up in there never gonna lose it right so I only got so much room up here and that that sort of information is helpful but it's not life-changing nobody here has changed their life dramatically because they had a new set of information they've changed their life because they met the risen Savior and so that's the change we're looking for. That's the type of answer we're looking for. Not just an exchange of information. You ask the question, I give the answer. But that together we would seek Jesus. And that we would get an answer from him. Now I've done my due diligence to, to read the questions, to, to read the word, to pray to God and ask and seek and knock. But at the end of the day, I need, I need his help as much as you do. We, we, we're in this together. So I'd like for us to pray. And then we'll move forward. Amen? Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. We have a lot of questions. And many of the questions that were asked, Lord, I have no idea how to answer them. Um, it is wisdom that we seek that must come from you. We need our eyes to be open. As your son said, we need ears to hear and eyes to see. The, just the wondrous, infinite awesomeness of who you are. Allow us today to just see a little more today, to come to you, to come closer to you, and, and to answer questions. And I, I praise you, Lord, because at least in my own experience, every question you answer brings more questions. And we grow and we progress, and I thank you for that, Lord. But above all things, may Jesus be the name that is remembered. May the answer uh, be the one we find in him and him alone. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to talk about faith, and, and truthfully, for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about faith, because a lot of the questions had to deal with faith, and the idea of what faith does, and, and how we exercise it, and, and what, you know, how is it supposed to be played out in a person's life. So many folks take uh, faith 
and use it as a as a as a as a, a token, a, a something to exchange with God to get what they want. And that's not faith. That's just you know that's um negotiation. I say, okay, I give you a little bit of faith, you give me a little bit of money. I give you a little bit of faith, you give me a little bit of car. I give you a little bit of faith, you give me a little bit of job. That's an exchange of goods. We're not seeking that. God is a rewarder of his people, yes, but we are seeking God himself. He is the great and mighty reward that we want. And so when it comes to faith, faith in Jesus is faith in what he has done. Faith in, in who he is and what he has promised to do. We have this great promise that no one else on the planet has, that Jesus will return, that he will collect his church, he will take us to be with him, and forever we will be his people and he will be our God. Not, not just, oh, we don't go to hell or, or, or we get to go to heaven. We become connected to, reconciled to, the creator of all the universe. And so we're preaching and teaching what the Bible says. It's more than about whether I get to heaven or hell. It's about knowing Christ, knowing the risen Savior, knowing the, the, the very Son of God as he is to be known. And so to do that, we must have faith. And there are many elements to faith. There's belief. There's love. And there's a key element we're going to talk about today that comes up in question number one, and that is repentance. So our question this week was this. Once you repent for a sin, can you then let it go? Not feel guilty or repent for it ever again? You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have committed a sin that you know is horrible? I mean, you did it, and you don't know why you did it, and you know you're saved because you've asked forgiveness of it, but it still comes back from time to time. Something happens, reminds you of it, and you go back to the Lord again. Ah, oh, man, Lord, I can't believe, I'm so sorry I did that. There are things that come up in my mind from, from being a child. I remember when I was eight years old, I went to a, um, I went to a, it, it wasn't Rite Aid then, it was a, a drugstore called Thrifty, or Thrifty, and it became Rite Aid eventually, but um, there was a, a this little a transformer. If you guys know what a transformer is, it's it's, it's one thing and it transforms into another. And I saw, and someone had opened the package and I was playing with it and I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna take this. You know, I wasn't with my mom wasn't around. She was in the pharmacy or something. I'm just gonna take this. So I I, I looked around. Nobody's looking. I took it. And uh, we got into line to pay, and there I am, you know, playing it cool, and parent and a child comes up behind me. It's a kid from my third grade class. And I believe his name was Ken. And I'm like, oh, hey, Ken, how you doing? And exchanging eight-year-old pleasantries. And uh, the next day, I, you know, I was so proud of myself. I got away with it, took it to school. And I'm playing with this toy. And my buddy Ken comes up and says, hey, where'd you get that? And I couldn't tell him. I stole it, obviously. So I said, you know, um, I bought it last night. Remember, we were at the store. We bought it. And uh, he's like, but I saw everything you bought. That wasn't up there. Man, he saw right through me. And everything else goes black after that. I don't know what happened after that in my memory. But to this day, now you might be saying, oh, that's just little kids and shenanigans and that type of thing. I stole. My mom and dad never taught me to steal. There was no lesson on here. Here's how we get a, Here's how we hide things in the palm of our hand. Here's how we make it look like we dropped something. And then we stick it into our palm. They never taught me that. But deep within me was this sinful nature that I was born with. I saw something I wanted. I didn't have the money to pay for it, so I took it. 
And, and whether I took it from a person or a faceless corporation, like a like a pharmacy or a store, it doesn't matter. I stole. Wouldn't be the last time, wasn't the first time. But I stole. It made me, made me a sinner. And to this day, I'll remember that time and how foolish I was and just say, Lord, I am so, I'm just sorry for ever doing that. I don't care that I was eight years old. I knew better. My parents had told me not to steal. You know, there, there was tons of cartoons and PSAs and commercials that told me the stealing was wrong. I knew it. I still did it. I'm really sorry about that. There, there are much worse sins that happen much later in life that I still go to the Lord and say, Lord, I can't, I can't believe I did that. What was I thinking? Was I even thinking? I mean, it's ridiculous. Now, here's the truth. I know that I'm forgiven, not because I've done anything, but because I've repented to the I've gone to the Lord. I, I've, I've asked for forgiveness. I know that I'm forgiven, but there's still these emotions and feelings. I don't walk around saying, okay, I'm okay with the fact that I stole when I was 8 years old, or I did this when I was 13, or this when I was 16, or this when I was 24, or whatever. There's still these emotions and feelings that, that come up, and, and they come up unexpectedly. And then you have Satan who comes along to try to remind us of that, to, 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 to knock us down. And so what do we do? Do we just keep repenting over and over and over and over again? I'm going to give you two examples, a classic case study on true repentance and false repentance. And they're a case study in two men, one named Peter, one named Judas. Both of these men wronged Jesus. We all know Peter betrayed Jesus on the night of his crucifixion, or on the night of his trial, before his crucifixion. We know that Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and basically sold out his friend. Both of them sinned against Jesus. These were two men who walked and talked with Jesus for three and a half years. If you think that you're above sin or are not a sinner because you're basically a good person, just look at these two men who, at the very moment that they should have been strong, they were so weak. They betrayed their friend, their Lord, their Savior, their God. And so I want you to see that you are not, you're not in some exclusive club where you're incapable of sinning. That your proximity to Jesus doesn't automatically mean that you won't sin anymore. Peter and the rest of the disciples you know, abandon Jesus. Judas betrays him. But we're going to look at these two men because how they respond to that, are both of them respond completely different. So, Matthew chapter 27, turn there, verse 3. I want you to be warned that your feelings and your emotions can betray you. So you might come in here today as you're turning to Matthew 27. You might come in just not feeling it today. Just not, I, I just... I'm here, but I'm here out of routine. I'm here, but my mind is elsewhere. I'm here, but, but I'm not getting what I want. I want you to realize that those feelings can be deceitful. I probably went to sleep last night about 3.30 a.m. Okay? Some of you probably went to bed uh, earlier, but woke up at like 6. I woke up like at 8. That's roughly five hours of sleep. True or false, five hours of sleep can play a little tri some tricks on your mind. True. 
five hours of sleep. Now, some of you might be saying, well, five hours of sleep. I, I, if, I should, if I could be so lucky to have five hours of sleep. But when you're used to eight or nine hours of sleep, and all of a sudden it's cut down to five hours of sleep, and you're up late and you're up early, the next day you can get grumpy, right? I mean, that's putting it mildly. Um, you're obviously tired. You might feel a little depressed. You might shy away from people. You might not want to be with a crowd of folks who are all happy and got a full night's rest. You ever find that the less sleep you get, the more sleep everybody else got? Like, I got two hours of sleep. Oh, yeah, I've been sleeping since Thursday. Like, come on. So, but, but does that really change reality? No. The sun's still shining. Jesus is still good. The church is still his. And so we have to cling to those truths, not just our emotions, not just our feelings. Because our feelings are just messed up by so many different elements. You don't eat right. You don't sleep right. You know, if you, if you smoke or drink and all those things are happening, they're going to alter how you feel. So our feelings, while they sometimes can be helpful, they can be de deceitful as well. So first we're going to look at Judas. Matthew 27, verse 3 says this, Then Jesus, or excuse me, then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elder, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what, you, what is that to us? See to it yourself. Verse 5 says, And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went, and he hanged himself. I believe it's in the book of Acts. It says that in the process of hanging himself, his body rotted, his insides came out. I mean, it was just a horrible, gruesome death. On the night before Jesus was to be crucified for our sins, Judas left the Passover meal, filled with the devil, Jesus said, and betrayed Jesus to the Pharisees, to the, to the religious elite who wanted Jesus to die, who were looking for opportunity to kill him. Judas went and gave him gave them that opportunity um something about judas we have to look at here um all throughout the public ministry of jesus judas was the treasurer and the bible says that judas would steal continuously he'd skim off the top he would you know hey we got 76 dollars in donations today i'll take i'll take the i'll keep it even i'll put in 75 keep the one for myself just take a little bit here and there Nobody's going to be the wiser. we still got tons of money. Lying, deceitful, thief, all in the presence of God. If you've ever wondered why people in the church hurt me, shouldn't they be Christians? Sometimes there are wolves in sheep's clothing. And when we see what happens to Judas, we can question whether or not he ever had true faith in Christ. But he, he betrays Jesus and he's filled with guilt that's a good thing right he doesn't feel good about what he's done he goes back to the temple let's make this right I, here's the money see because he was paid 30 pieces of silver for what he did to Jesus here take it back I'm sorry take it back I, I've, I've, I've done something wrong Pharisees didn't care you can do whatever you want with the money later on in the scripture in the verse here it says that uh, they couldn't use the money because it was blood money they couldn't put it back into the temple, so they bought a they bought a field with it. They got what they wanted. They didn't need or want Judas. They just needed opportunity. 
So Judas feels guilt. Judas feels remorse for what he did. But instead of going back to Jesus, instead of going back and, and, and truly repenting of what he's done, he handles it like most of us would in our human nature. Let's let's go try to make it right. Let's try to fix it. Let's be in control of it. Let's go back. Let's make let's uh let, let's try to reverse time. If he gave back the thirty pieces of silver, does Jesus come back to life? I mean, in that moment, it doesn't change anything. Jesus has still been beaten. Jesus has still been crucified for uh, the sins of the world. Judas giving the money back doesn't solve anything. All he's trying to do is clear his conscience to make that guilt go away, to not feel. Like he did something wrong. And so often, and, and, and like then, and it's the same as now, so many people, they, they, they don't want forgiveness. They just don't want to feel guilty. I want to do what I want to do. I just don't want to feel guilty about it. And so this is why you see people trying to justify their sins. God's obviously cool with my sin. Why? Because I don't want to feel guilty about it. I don't want to feel like I'm doing something wrong when I am indeed doing something wrong. And so we see how Judas reacts. This is not repentance. Feeling bad about your sin is not repentance. Trying to make things right can be an extension of repentance. We see Zacchaeus doing that, right? The wee little man in the sycamore tree, we see him. But but notice that that was after he puts his faith in Christ. He doesn't repent so that he can be found worthy of Christ. He finds Christ and then repents. I'll, I'll give back all the money that I stole, four times as much as I stole from anybody. But he's first exercised faith in Christ. Judas, Judas goes the opposite. And it leads to him committing suicide. Now, I don't know about you, I don't take committing suicide lightly. He was so much in anguish. Who knows what Satan was doing to him, what kind of guilt and what kind of fiery arrows that Satan was firing at him. We don't get that kind of privileged knowledge, but we know this, that he was consumed by this. And he did not respond correctly. If he thought that was repentance, or if you think that's repentance, you're wrong. That's not repenting. Repenting is not even asking forgiveness. It might start with that. It might start with, Lord, forgive me. But continuously looking to relieve the guilt for what you have done that is wrong, that's not repentance. That's just humans trying to feel better about what they've done. So we see Judas didn't do this right. And there's very little in Judas's life that we can look at and say, that's a good thing to do in my life. I can't imagine being Judas and, and, and even trying to live after this if he hadn't committed suicide. What a life to have led to be known as the betrayer of Jesus. Now we're going to look at Peter. What was Peter's sin? Peter denied Jesus three times. On the night of Jesus' trial, Peter kind of hangs back. He's hiding. People start looking at him and they recognize him. Because everywhere they saw Jesus, they saw Peter. And they say, hey, you were with that Galilean. Oh, no, 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 that wasn't me. Oh, you, no, you were, I saw you with, no, no, another guy. Another fisherman, another guy that was just hanging out with Jesus, not me. Finally, Mark chapter 14, verse 70. And there's like almost 80 verses in this chapter. It's a big chapter. 
But again he denied it, and after a little while the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Now, now Peter just previously had, had talked a big game. I'll even die with you, Jesus. Jesus looked him in the eye and said, Before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And, and Peter probably thought, No, I'm not. <laughs> wow, Jesus, you're wrong. Like, I don't know how many people who can actually say that, but Peter's like, No, 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 I, I would die for you. Now, many of you would say, I, I, would die for, I would die for my faith, but you're not living for your faith. Why would you die for your faith? Just, if you want to die for your faith, do it now. You know, die to yourself, as Pastor Mike said. Die to yourself then. Peter talked a big game, and then when it came down to it, when he was foretold how it would happen, he realized, oh man. And in verse 72, and he broke down and wept. He, he, was, he was remorseful. He was filled with guilt, just like, just like uh, Judas. So we find that they're both in the same sort of predicament, but let's see what happens with Peter. Peter obviously doesn't take his life, like Judas did. Um, he flees. He's gone. He, he, we find him a few days later after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus goes back to him. After some time of, of showing himself to the, to the disciples and that sort of thing, in, in John chapter 21, it says that when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Sorry, I lost my place. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you, uh, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you that when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19, this, is, this he said to show what, by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. It's not coincidental that Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me, after Jesus has denied him three times. It's no coincidence that, that Jesus is equating love with action. It's not just, do you love me? Yes, okay. Oh, you love me? Let's see that in action. Use that to propel you to feed my sheep, to tend to my sheep. To be, to be a shepherd for them. And then lastly, Jesus says to Peter, follow me. What was one of the first things that we know of that Jesus said to Peter? Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Right? They dropped their nets. Peter and his brother Andrew dropped their nets, left their dad, took off, followed Jesus. Repentance is not asking for forgiveness alone. Repentance is turning back away from the direction you were going, back to Jesus. There's only two directions. You're walking towards sin. You're walking towards Jesus. There's no third direction. If you're not walking towards Jesus, I guarantee you, you're walking towards sin in some 
way, shape, or form. Peter's confronted by Jesus. Notice that Peter wasn't seeking out Jesus. Peter was confronted by a sin and had a choice to make. Do I repent? Do I justify? Well, I I had to deny you, Jesus. They would have crucified me too. Then how would you start your church? Remember you said you would build the church on this rock and blah, blah, blah. No, he he had a choice to make. And instead of choosing to explain his guilt, explain his remorse, why he had to do what he had to do, justifying his actions, he just says, Lord, you know I love you. He ultimately just throws up his hands, Lord, you know everything. You know me better than me. You know whether I love you or not. And Jesus says, well, here's how life's going to be now. I'm going to lead you. Repentance draws you away from sin, Satan, and death back to Jesus, who then leads you through the rest of your life. Peter would end up being crucified upside down. He was going to be crucified. He refused to be crucified. As a Savior, they turned him upside down, just so it could be different. He, he couldn't die in the same manner as a Savior. This man becomes the man who in Acts chapter 2 gets up and preaches a sermon where 3,000 people give their lives to Christ. The Bible says their, their, their hearts were ripped in two. They were cut to the heart by the words that were preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost. We see a dramatic change in Peter. Now, you go to the book of Galatians, you find that Peter is still a human. Paul says that he had to call out Peter because Peter would act one way around the Gentiles, and then when the Jews showed up, it was like, oh, no, I haven't been hanging out with those Gentiles. I haven't been eating pork with them or anything like that. I'm, I'm a good Jewish boy. I hang out with Jewish kids, and I don't, I don't, I'm not you know, doing anything with them. And Paul had to call him out on that because that's, that's a double-minded man. That's somebody who's trying to live two different lives. Like just, just be the man God created you to be. Don't be one person here and one person there and one person over here. Just be who you are. Maybe some of you guys wonder why I dress like I do. I mean, I know my mom does. She's always wondered how I dress. And my wife wants me to dress a little better sometimes. But, you know, not a lot of pastors wear blue jeans and hoodies on a Sunday morning. Do, do you know why I do that? A, it's comfortable. If you had to preach up here, I'd let you preach in whatever made you comfortable. Because okay, you're going to be preaching for the people. That, that's hard enough as it is. But here's what I find. I see people coming into church on Sunday, any church, and then you run, to them, run into them during the week, completely different person. Like I, You don't talk the same. There's a lot more colorful language that you're using today than you use on Sunday. On Sunday, you're all shoot and dang. But rest of the week, the real words are inserted. Ah, fudge. Like, no, not anymore. Well, it happened. I do this because I want you, because when you see me in the community, this is exactly what I look like. There's no change in me. I'm not, I'm not religious Tony on Sunday and then I go out the rest of the week and just, you know, kick and spit and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to show up here on a fancy suit on Sunday when it's the only day of the week that I wear a fancy suit. It, it's not real. And so this is why I do what I do. I want to be the same person no matter where I go. And some of you would rather have a pastor who dressed in a suit that costs more than your car. Not going to do that, A, because I don't have that kind of money. Um, I have a suit. I might wear it someday if I ever lose weight. Exactly. We got one. But, you know. If you see me in a suit, usually it means somebody's getting married or somebody's getting buried. 
Like, and it's usually the, the latter more than the former. So my point is this. I want to be the same person everywhere. We see Peter had a problem with that. He was going back and forth, trying to be one person here, one person there. You know, it's a good thing to to um, uh, adapt. Like Peter says, you know, I became all things to all men to win some. You know, it's, it's one thing if you're going to go into a group of people who are intellectual to, you know, find out more about them. Not make them adapt to you, but be like, okay, I see what we're talking about. Or if you go to people who enjoy this thing or that thing or this hobby or this life, whatever, just figure out who they are and, 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 and ask the Lord to lead you to evangelize to them through that way. But, but being one person here, being like this Jekyll and Hyde type of a scenario, that's not being a Christian. You know, Jesus was the same whether he was in front of the Pharisees or if he was in front of tax collectors and prostitutes. Jesus was the same whether he was, uh, you know, in the temple preaching or if he was on the street preaching. Same message, same Jesus. You could count on finding the same Jesus no matter where you went. And so Peter wasn't perfect because he repented. But Peter was different because he repented. And he needed to repent of that sin as well. And I, he probably did. I don't don't have any confirmation from the word, but my assumption is that he continued to preach and grow churches and plant churches, empowered by the Holy Spirit, not limited by the sin of a moment. Now, the part I want us to focus on here, for those of us who might be thinking, you know, I just feel all this guilt and I feel all this this remorse over my sin, that's not necessarily a bad thing. If it controls you, it is. Have you ever seen somebody driven by guilt? Their life is fruitless. There's never any joy. Not anything that's lasting anyways. They're, they're always, they always feel distant from Jesus. And so the, the goal here is not to make you feel guilty for what you've done. Jesus never says, Peter, why did you betray me? Why did you deny me? He never says, Pray this prayer, do this thing, give this offering, you know, go into this box with a guy and confess your sin, and then follow me. He saw Peter as the child of God that he was. Now, for you who have sinned, and that's all of us, I'm not talking to any specific person, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what Romans tells us, right? I want you to know that Jesus doesn't see you as a dirty sinner stuck nothing he sees you as his child bought by his blood washed clean by his blood set free he sees you as you truly are even when you see yourself as you truly were and so to answer this question it's by faith that we we even have the opportunity to repent Repentance is evidence in your life that the Holy Spirit is at work. Have you have you recently, just think about you know last few weeks, a couple of months, have you repented of things in your life that, that the world would never even think was wrong? The world might even celebrate the sin that you feel guilty over. And you feel like, man, I, I got to repent of this. This is not right. I didn't, I should not have done this. And, and if you told somebody who wasn't a Christian, they might be like, what's the big deal? That's not a big deal. You know? So the cashier gave you $10 extra and you didn't give it back. Big deal. You know. So you you know, you know told a little lie. What's what You had to do it to protect yourself at work, right? What's the big deal? 
but you know. Why do you know? Because the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is in you calling you out on these things. You know, you, you, your wife or your husband said something and you just reacted in anger. The world doesn't say that's a bad thing. The Bible does, though. And the Holy Spirit starts to convict you. You start to feel the need to repent. You can't repent to be forgiven. You must be forgiven so that you might repent. And today, you have that ability to repent. And if you want to keep asking for forgiveness or apologizing to the Lord for what you've done, that's great. But know this, you have been forgiven. If you have come to the Lord, you've confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that He's your Savior, that He's that He is the Lord, that what He has done on the cross is sufficient for your sins and the sins of the world, then you've been forgiven. And you are a child of God. And Romans 8 and 1 says there's no more condemnation hanging over your head. Before Jesus, it's like we have the guillotine. Our necks in the thing, it's, a, it's about to come down. But in Jesus, that's gone. We've been forgiven. We've been born again. We've been made brand new. You're a brand new person. You're not a sinner anymore. You're now what the Bible calls a saint. I don't feel saintly, Pastor Tony. Neither do I. You know, when I when I lash out because I'm angry or hungry or tired or when I'm apathetic or when I feel like I just want to give up, those are just feelings. I don't feel saintly. That doesn't change my position in Christ because my position in Christ is not anchored in my performance. It's anchored in what Jesus has done. And that changes everything. So here's what we do. We need to surrender. You know, Pastor Mike saying, I surrender all. I hope you feel convicted when you sing that song. I do. I hope it's not like a joyful thing. Oh, I just love that song. Really? Surrendering? You love that? I hope you're actually surrendering when you sing that song. It'd be really sad to say, I surrender all, but I'm holding on to everything. I surrender some, maybe. I surrender, surrender a little. I'll surrender tomorrow. Doesn't make any sense. But first, we're going to start with surrender. We're just going to give up. We're going to throw up our hands. We're going to admit that we are at the end of ourselves and it's not enough. Then we're going to repent. Lord Jesus, I, I was walking towards pornography, but I need your help to turn back away from it. I was walking towards overeating. I'm walking towards alcoholism. I'm walking towards being a bad husband or a bad wife, and I need to walk away from that. I, I, I've been walking towards a filthy mouth, and I want to walk away from that. That's a big one. Like, I don't talk about that much, but I've been wanting to for ages. Like, I've met people who were addicted to meth and kicked that faster than swearing. Like, can you, can you imagine? Like, it's like a, it's like a, it's like nature to us to want to, to say these things. The Bible's clear time and time again. This is, this is crude. This is foul. You don't win anybody to Christ through that. You don't accomplish anything through that. And your mouth and your tongue have to be bridled by the Holy Spirit. The tongue is like a, like a spark that starts a wildfire. Let me ask you this question just in dealing with the issue of the tongue, and then we're going to kind of close up a little bit. I'm noticing as I get older the power of our words. 
Like, not like, oh, I'm a chicken and now I'm a chicken. I mean, like, you say something and it, it can build somebody up or it can destroy them. Just one simple word, one criticism without some type of, of love mixed into it, and, and you'll destroy that person. And you might say, well, they have to toughen up. Well, what about you lightening up? What about you using – what about you being more direct with your words instead of just saying anything that pops into your head? What if, what if you just allowed the Holy Spirit to bridle that tongue a little bit? But the tongue's crazy, man. We just say stuff. And, and I don't know if some of you think that on Facebook you're not using your tongue, but you really are. So when you say stuff on Facebook, you're still saying it. And so when you're still sharing stuff that's crude and wrong, and if Jesus saw it, you would cringe. I mean, he still saw it. And who you are there is the same person you are here. And if you wouldn't share that here, why would you share it there? It doesn't make any sense. There are tons of times where I see, like, the most funniest things about some things. And I just think, you know what, that's profitable to nobody. See, you know, people posting pictures of naked women, I just hide it or unfollow those people. I don't need that in my life. I'm a married man with, with two children. I, I don't need that kind of temptation in my life. People just clicking away, sharing it to anybody they want. It's funny. Now, Facebook's a, Facebook, I think, would be a great tool. It, it, it is. You've got to use it deliberately, just like you would here. You know, Just imagine, just imagine everything that you put on Facebook just on your chest right now. Would you walk around like that? So use it for Christ or, 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 or use it for, you know, to uplift and to encourage and to have fun, but not against what God's word says. Surrender. Surre surrendering means you give up all the desires to do those things. Peter, what did, he, what did Jesus tell Peter? You're going to a place where somebody's going to dress you. Somebody's going to lead you. You're going to go somewhere that you don't want to go, but you're going to go because I have told you to go. You're going to stop doing these things because I've told you to stop doing them. You're going to do these others because I've told you to do them. Yes, Lord. May your will be done above my will. Repentance should be a one-time thing, but if the sin comes back, you repent again. And you repent till the day you die. Every day I find something new to repent of. It doesn't have to be old stuff. Just, yeah, I did that. You know, I, I reacted in anger. Instead of being patient, I was I was quick to anger and, and, and quick to speak rather than slow to anger and slow to speak. You know, I just got to repent of that. You know, didn't read my Bible today, got to repent of that. God's word, perfect, holy, true, all that, and I just let it sitting there on my nightstand. You know, somebody asked me to pray for him, I didn't pray for him, got to repent of that. Every day, something new to repent of. So, we're going to pray, then we're going to take some questions and answers. I hope that answers this question. Next week, we're going to talk about the sinner's prayer and our need for that in our lives, what that means and what that means to you. That's, question, that's the next question that comes up. But let's pray and move forward. Jesus, you know, we're, not, we're not anywhere near the people that we in the way that you see us. You see us purchased by your blood, forgiven, and we see ourselves through the lens of our old life. 
We never want to be in a place where we're okay with what we've done. But we want to get to a place where we can move on from it and learn from it and use it to benefit other people somehow, some way. Father, we want to be different, not because we're being different, but because you're making us different. Your word says that our faith in you causes us to be born again. That the work that you've called us to do is to put our faith in you. Father, I believe that all these things we've call, that, I've, that I've called out that are sin, Lord, I believe that, that while I have access to the ears of these people, you have access to their heart. And true change won't come because I've simply told them something was wrong, but true change will come when your Holy Spirit grabs a hold of their heart. So that's what we're asking for. Father, I pray today that as we leave here that, that we would understand repentance a little better, that it's not about the, the, the forgiveness we seek, it's the, it's the change of direction in our lives. Sometimes you give us the perceived power to walk away, and sometimes we need you to drag us away. We need you to physically turn us around, get behind us, and push us towards yourself. Father, some of us, we're, we're engrossed in some type of sin where that's exactly what we need. And so I pray, Lord, that as you confront us about our sin, first that you would do that, confront us. That if we are trying to push it aside or you know, just not feel guilty about it, Lord, that you would dig deeper and get into us and, and show us the, what we've done is wrong. And then cause us to, to seek repentance in you. That we might, as you said to Peter, that we might follow you. I thank you that you didn't start with Peter before this conversation. Tell him to follow you with all this guilt and condemnation hanging over his head. That you corrected all that and then said, follow me. Thank you, Lord. May we be a people who repent because we, we have been challenged by you to do so. And may we see Jesus as being all the sweeter, all the more glorious each time we do. In his most precious name we pray. Amen.